This is Something to Carp About. I'm Dennis Mitchell. Rincon Point is known as the Queen of the Coast, maybe because it sticks out like a little tiara along the California coast just past the city limits of Carpinteria. It is home to some of the world's most prominent surfers and surf competitions. So to explore the world of riding the waves, my guest this time is surf photographer and former carp resident Brent Floaten. Brent, tell us a little bit about yourself and why it is I keep seeing incredible surfing photos on your Facebook feed. Uh, well, I, uh, I grew up in uh, Camarillo. Uh, was, I was born in 67 out there. And um, once I started surfing, uh, when I was around 14, 13, obviously I spent a lot of time in Ventura. That, that would be the hub for me. So um, I started at uh, C Street, and then back then the gradual progression was C Street, C Street, stables and the pipe and the pipe at that time in 83 was was this core group of guys there was there was sal there was uh davy miller there were the lairds there was the bugaboos there was um guy jeans there was this whole culture of guys that were they would only surf there and there were some santa barbara's uh, guys, um, Herky Wade, Neil, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Neil Gizzy, Dana McCorkle. Some of these guys would come down and eventually Tom Curran and surf uh, Pipe, and then they would go to Santa Clara Rivermouth. And at this time, Al Merrick was, was growing and CI was growing huge. And so you had those guys coming down. Guys like Sam George were documenting it. Jimmy Matico was uh, photographing it, who's now putting a lot of his stuff out there, um, thankfully, because that era, it kind of disappeared after a while um, in the uh, 2000s. And then all of a sudden, I think Jimmy realized the, the treasure trove he had of all these uh, guys from Davy Smith to Tom Curran, who were um setting the bar for surfing for so long so it 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 just was like this amazing time to be a part of that but a fly on the wall nobody knew who I was and still doesn't but it was such a an iconic time and and you know the thing about that is no one but Jimmy documented that stuff you know back then so you talk about these guys like the rock stars they you are. Know, they're I mean, household they, names around your household. Yeah, I mean, they formed <laughs> uh, my life, uh, the surfing part of it. They they, uh, they were definitely a huge part of it. They don't know that, but Tom should know that by now, but he, <laughs> he's such a humble dude, you know? Okay. But Jimmy and I have gotten to know each other over social media, and some someday we'll uh, meet, and I'll, I'll let him know this, but he, he's, he was huge, you know? And uh, I still have... The uh, photo that he took, he says he doesn't know if he took it, but I know he took it. It's his style. There's nobody else that would take a photo of Tom Curran at that point in time. And I went into um, Channel Island Surf Shop with my dad in 83 to buy a wetsuit. And who's behind the counter but Tom Curran? He's working there. He's probably 17 or something. And I'm 13, 14. And I'm in trying the suit on and my dad does like the worst thing that for a 13 year old he goes up to the counter oh, and says my son really loves you and and so tom gracious <laughs> as he was he pulled this photo out and signed it to brent 
um, all the best, Tom Kern. And I still have that. It's framed on my wall. And uh, uh, that was it, you know. I mean, you know, one of many, many millions of kids who, who idolized Tom Curran from the beginning. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to let you know up front, full disclosure, surfing is something I could watch all day, every day. Never had any desire or inclination to get on a board and do it or try it. I just am fascinated. But you love uh, it, huh? I, I love watching it. Uh, and as I told you before you came for the podcast, yeah. I got ready by watching Riding Giants, my favorite surf movie of all time. I love it. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> uh, what is it that gets inside a surfer's head that those waves must be conquered, must be ridden? Obviously, it affected you. So what is it in the psyche that brings that about? Well, I think it's the feeling. It's the feeling that you get when you, from paddling out, the water washing over you, taking all your troubles right off your body. I mean, it really is like that. I explained it in a story I wrote recently that's on Facebook, I think, and, and Instagram. Um, and it's, it's basically, it's the analogy of a boat going under a swell, the water hitting the bow, washing over the wheelhouse and off the aft deck and everything that's, can I cuss? Sure, it's a podcast. Everything that shit just goes right off, you know, and similar to your body and all the grease and oil and grime and horrible things you've heard over the week and work and stress, and it just washes off. That That's the best analogy I can give you of what people get so addicted. And then, you know, I knew that, but once... It, it takes a hold of you. There is literally nothing you can do to stop it. You know, everything for me, I was going to be a DJ. I was going to be a professional soccer player. The minute I started surfing, I was gone. All right. I mean, immediately. Wow. So it's, <laughs> it, it's a it's a release. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you just change your focus completely. And once I started coaching, you know, the, I had to let the parents of the kids I was coaching know it's totally normal for this child to obsess about surfing. He'll be fine. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Because they get worried. <laughs> you can say what you want about a fad that we had growing up as kids and everything, sure. but you really have to do something to yeah. be into this fad. Yeah. It isn't just collecting cards or doing something where you could sit on your butt and not do anything. You no. really have got to be a part of it. It's a focus, and these kids are so focused. And, uh, you know, when you get out of school, it's... I'm going to surf, you know, I got to practice and uh, all that stuff that comes with it. Yeah. Um, your photos blow me away. I mean, seriously, on Facebook, I, I appreciate just look, that. I gaze at them and gaze at them. And uh, maybe you've answered my question in advance. You had said as a child, you uh, enjoyed seeing uh, surf photography work. Oh, Is yeah. that what got you into it? I mean, that that's, uh, do you just following in the steps? <clears throat> no. Um, it happened by accident. So um, when I was 42, I I had a severe injury. I can't pinpoint what happened, but there were a couple different things. Mountain bike accident and then surfing a wave uh, in, in the cove at Sea Street. I did the splits. And that was the one where uh, it, it, I think it re-injured the mountain bike accident. And mm-hmm. then from there, it just spiraled downhill. And for five years, I couldn't surf. I stopped I, I was limping, um, and then uh, this doctor took a MRI and found that I had uh, major de- degenerative arthritis in my right hip, and you know everything that the all the uh, stuff was gone. So we were going to do a hip replacement. That's where it started. Then I had two wrists um, that were 
destroyed from what I'm not exactly sure. I think there were falls. And uh, so I had the scaphoids removed and screws put in because the scaphoids are fracturing. So now I have no mobility. So I couldn't really surf anymore. And my wife got me a camera. And she got me a camera in 2017, March of 2017. And that's what it did. I, I A friend told me before I had the surgeries, he said, you're going to get depressed and you're going to need to get out because you're going to have to get out of your head. So she bought me the camera. I drove to Rincon. We lived in Carp at that time. Drove to Rincon. I got out with my camera. I didn't know how to work. And I just walked up the point and just started shooting. Yeah. And um, there was a little surfer out, this girl with an orange board. It was Vela uh, Mativ, and she lives in Santa Barbara, and her parents, uh, Disha and Nihilus, were, would take her to the beach, and I didn't know her at the time, but I thought, this is a great subject. I surfed for many years. She's a little surfer girl. I took a couple photos of her, um, and I thought, oh my God, surf photography. I can do this. I know the timing of what they're going to do. I know kind of the what they're thinking when a section comes up, this and that. And that's exactly where it started. And uh, Vela, you know, is now 14 and competing on the uh, QS and just starting to. And uh, her and I have become really good friends and close with her family. And um, I got her um, uh, to ride for Buell wetsuits. And now I do some mentoring for Buell and uh, take photos some of their ads and things like that occasionally I'll get and then uh, but I'm very close with Buell wetsuits because of that and that's how it started by chance and by injury so from the subject matter it's just a matter of knowing your instrument the camera yeah and what it can do for you has that been a learning experience into itself aperture settings and exposure because uh, I noticed in some of your photos you're able to catch the rainbow mist coming up off the surf and that stuff doesn't happen by accident no uh, um, some images that I've taken are um, because of someone's photos I've seen, and I wanted to try and capture that. So I, the rainbow one, I think, was my friend Dave Castro, another photographer. He's really good. And uh, he, I think he had a shot where he had the rainbow and the spray, and so I tried to capture that. And it's something that you can usually see with the naked eye a lot, but if you have a camera in your hand, that's the thing. So I got really lucky with that one. I, I know which one you're talking about. That's Silver Strand. Oh, yeah. yeah I was really stoked to get that. <laughs> yeah, blew me away. Fantastic. Thanks, Another thing I really enjoy about your photos is that you put names to the faces. Uh, yeah. And surfboards. Yeah. Famous surfers aren't famous everywhere. They're not always household names like we were talking about yeah. before. So yeah. This kind of thing really helps build popularity for the sport, not just locally. Right. I'm learning that. I have a lot of people that are, will DM me or like you. Now you're telling me face to face, which is rare in this, <laughs> this world now. But I have a lot of people that will um, tell me... Uh, like you just said, they'll say, I don't surf, but your photos resonate with me. And they have gotten me either through hard times or they bring me back home because they moved. So this kind of is their way to their visiting here, whether it's my surf images or um, my lifestyle stuff or landscape stuff. And I didn't really think about that when I got into photography, but now it's like, it's always in the back of my head you know, maybe I'll help that guy, Paul, who was 
recovering from something and he really liked my photos or maybe Dennis Mitchell will love this new photo or what you know what I mean yeah eventually it starts to uh, be like a snowball and it builds and 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 it becomes uh, much more than you thought it was when you started you know that's something you can be equally as proud of maybe not quite as dangerous as riding a wave yeah have some sense of satisfaction <laughs> in the sport exactly it's uh <laughs> it's replaced that passion and I'm grateful because things have gotten, um, things are different and they are much more crowded. And the older I get, I'm realizing that I don't really think I need to, I think I did a good job for 37 years surfing and I'm okay sitting on the sidelines and documenting it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't miss it. No, but you just touched on something there. It's like the activity in the sport itself is enough to sustain it yeah. and keep it going generation after generation, even without the rock star uh, caliber writers, yeah. you know, that, that you're so aware of and, and familiar with. Well, uh, I would argue that there's a certain percentage of people that get into the sport who never heard of those people. They just want to go out and surf. I would say that's probably 85, 90% of everyone, yeah. you know, that yeah. are just doing it for the love and, uh, to like I said, wash off the week of work, you know, and yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's wonderful to watch when I see the next generation coming with their parents, um, and then you see that generation raising their kids. I've seen three generations uh, grow up and come out at the surf spots I grew up at, and now I know their kids. Their kids are almost going to have kids. They're twenty. Uh, so in the next few years, I see those kids having kids, and I'll see the fourth generation, and it's like, wow, this is cool. And those kids, the third generation, are extremely talented, whereas the the parents were talented, but you know, not as as the kids. It's like it seems like the kids growing up today are so talented and hungry, you know, to get out in the water and and do it. And so a little more fearless than past they're definitely more fearless. <laughs> I had a lot of fear growing up about surfing, but I think it's also um, respect for the ocean, which is, you got to have respect for the ocean. We'll get into that. This is something to carp about. My guest is Brent Floten. We'll be back in just a minute. Every day, 70,000 puppies or kittens are born in the U.S. Cute, right? Well, what's not cute is that half of all litters are accidents. And when a kitten has a litter of oopsies and a puppy has a litter of uh-ohs, pretty soon you have thousands and thousands of OMGs. And that leads to millions of pets being killed in shelters each year. But if 80% of people with pets say they believe in spaying and neutering, then what gives? Turns out that those sweet little fuzzballs can get pregnant sooner than you think, a lot sooner. But here's the good news. You can stop the accident before it happens. You just have to remember one number, four, as in four months. When you bring home Maggie or Ruby or Puddles or Clyde, get them fixed at four months old. It can be old enough to get pregnant, and it's definitely young enough to make a difference. Prevent more. Fix at month four. Visit fixat4.com for more information. Brought to you by Best Friends Animal Society. It's something to carp about. I'm Dennis Mitchell. My guest this week is Brent Floten, who is a, somewhat a surfing expert, a surfing photographer in our area, a former Carpinteria resident. And we were just getting into uh, how fearless the new generations of surfers seem to be when they come into it. It's a dangerous sport. Mm -hmm. People have died surfing yeah. before. 
Um, so I'm, I'm wondering where this fearlessness comes from. Maybe they haven't seen enough films like Riding Giants or uh, <laughs> enough experience. Sometimes you have to go out and, and uh, for lack of a better way to say it, get hurt to learn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about organizations around here that teach surfing. I, I, I see a few of them um, around Carpinteria. Yeah. I, I know there are at least a couple. Yeah. Um, is that a good way to go? Yes. Um, I remember being 12 or, or so, and in the summer, my parents would put me in uh, summer school. And so this is an alternative of summer school. So Surf Happens is one of probably one of the, the really uh, reputable companies that um, uh, with Chris Keat. And uh, he's been around quite a while. And um, that, that is a really good program for summer where the kids are there all day for, I think, whatever days you'd need them there, you know, if you're, you're working and you have a fluctuating schedule. And so they'll be in that group and they will either take them to spots or just down at uh, uh, Padero Lane. And um, the kids will be there all day doing surf uh, activities and learning about the ocean and, um, you know, how to respect it and the things to do and not to do and uh, the things to look out for, like riptides and things like that. So they're going to give those kids the basics. Where I learned about bugs, they're going to learn about stuff that they can, you know, utilize on a daily basis because they're probably going to grow up. I always think that I, when I see a kid at the beach, they're going to grow up to, to, number one, care about the environment. They're going to care about the ocean and everything that surrounds that, you know, so their life will eventually revolve around the ocean. They're going to go to camping at Halama. They're going to go camping in Morro Bay. They're going to, you know what I mean? And that's what my folks did. So um, that that's one of the really positive things I think about these these camps. Okay. It would seem to be a fine line to me uh, to be taught a certain way to do it that's right and wrong, the right way and wrong way to do everything, and a safe way and a not safe way to do it. But say you've been taught the formal way and the right way and you're out there and just that that dream wave uh, comes along isn't there a temptation to break the rules a little bit just to do something fancy to do something memorable whether it's wise or not yes and i think that <laughs> happens a lot <laughs> and yeah and then uh you can either get away with it or you you get the beat down and you learn a lesson you know or both or both yeah true yeah, yeah that yeah. was great but you but, shouldn't have done that <laughs> yeah you shouldn't have floated over that guy's head <laughs> you know <laughs> well that's another topic i wanted to get with you and that's surf etiquette uh we have seen very unfortunate incidents of people getting hurt and worse yeah. Uh, because uh, somebody wasn't looking in the right direction. I mean, um, and when I go out to Rincon mm -hmm. uh, and, and walk all the way out to where the surfers are, turn left at, at Bates instead yeah. of right, yeah. um, it seems like there are a lot of them in one small area waiting for the same thing. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, is that an unspoken kind of guide that uh, paying attention to everyone around you, basically? Yes, and I, it's suffering. The uh, the uh, etiquette is suffering. It's it's almost almost non-existent. Wow. Uh, whereas when I was a kid, you learned right away. There was definitely a pecking order. Um, there you had to earn your place on the main peak. You didn't just paddle up there because the older guys would tell you to buzz off in and and that's in nice terms. Yes. And they may show you the way. 
of buzzing off. And nowadays, and I understand you can't do that now, but um, there was benefits to that. There were benefits to that. And now, uh, as you see, and you'll hear, I'm sure people talk about it, um, Rincon on a Saturday when it's firing is a hazard. And, and a gentleman was killed last year because, and I think I have this correct, he was surfing and... Um, another guy was behind him or he was in front of the guy but either way one of them cut back and ran right into the gentleman uh and i think their heads collided or something and this guy was killed and it was unfortunate and uh totally unavoidable i mean a lot of these things these accidents that i witness when you're when it's pumping it's a, just a millisecond and these people would have would have uh, had the same fate. So it's it's a huge danger, and I think we aren't discussing it enough because, um, I mean, I, I took a photo last year of Josiah Miko. He was in the cove finishing on this huge, you know, big wave, like six feet, I think, not a huge wave, but a good-sized wave, a beautiful wave. He was in the barrel, and this uh, girl's longboard was going up, in the lip and went right over his head and missed him by I think a couple couple feet, which in uh, terms of death is not a lot. And uh, this thing would have knocked him out. This board was a nine foot board, and she had no idea that it happened. She got up out of the water and was laughing. And Joe looked at me like, "What the?" And um, she paddled on, and no one—I don't even think anyone let her know that it it almost hit him. But uh, I have the photos. And I posted it on Instagram, and people exploded. They were like, you know, this is BS. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she, I hope they told her. And, you know, uh, so it, it's a big problem. And, and I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure, unfortunately, we'll, we will see more injuries and death because uh, it's just not talked about. There is a sign at Rincon on the trail on the way down that explains etiquette. Uh, perfectly, but it's covered with stickers. Uh, I've seen that. Is that what that is? Yeah, so what it says is the person closest to the curl or the white water when you're both paddling for it has the right-of-way, right? Or the guy that's up first, that's the person that has the right-of-way. I think people think that it says whatever wave you want is yours. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just willy nilly. <laughs> right. Uh, well, what is the answer, or is there one? I mean, it seems like the last thing the surfing community wants to hear is monitoring, uh, having to be certified to get out there and, right. and surf. It, 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 you know, cuts back on the freedom of, of yeah. what you do and getting out there. But uh, Rincon being maybe one of the best examples of, of overcrowding or 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 a, a lack of a system. That keeps everybody safe. Is there is there an easy answer to that? I look for the the legends in the sport to educate. That's what I look for. So I I look at guys like a I'll just take Rincon and I'll say like Killian Garland. I look for a guy like that who is also involved with a surf, surf school, the Gold Coast Surf School, with Adam Lambert and and Demi. Uh, and I look for people like that to teach uh, the next generation the rules. They're out in the water. 
they're the guys and, and girls that are out there. So they need to educate the kids. So whether it's witnessing someone, snaking someone else and going up and just saying, hey, man, uh, some guy died here last year um, doing that. It's not as innocent as you're acting like it is. Take it easy and, and be careful. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I think. You know. Okay. What about technology uh, regarding surfboards? Um, you got started as a kid, 60s, 70s. Do they use new materials? Have there been advances in surfboard technology? Or is the board you buy now pretty much like the one you got in 1968? It is, but it isn't. Um, it is uh, 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 as the shell of it, but the materials are different. Now, I'm not the guy to ask uh, about materials, but I can give you the a rough uh, summation on what, I'm, what you're asking. And then that is that fiberglass is still used. Um, the foam has changed somewhat. You can still get a regular foam board, but you can also get an epoxy. And the epoxy boards are lighter, um, but, see, I could be wrong. They don't, they don't have as much flex. And so, but they're, they're lighter, they don't take on water, and they don't delaminate. Delaminating is when the board turns yellow. Um, so they don't uh, take on sun damage like the, other, the old boards did. But they are, they're much more expensive. So I think a new board can be, if it's epoxy, you can get one for seven, around seven something, uh, short board. And then if it's not epoxy, it's probably like five, five and a half. Hundred. Hundred, yeah. Okay. So, and, you know, when you're doing a long board, you're up close to a grand, you know. I see. Yeah. Is that ever a deterrent? I mean, there are some families, uh, tennis comes to mind, or even uh, youth hockey, where you have to you have to spend a chunk to, to get the equipment. So uh, if you live on the coast, I would think maybe this has a different kind of priority uh, in, in some families' eyes. That's a great... Uh, question because I did travel hockey for my son growing up and uh, we did the whole thing and I will say it's 10 times the cost of a surfing family and throwing their stuff in the car and going to the beach every weekend is a heck of a lot more fun than going to El Segundo to play hockey (laughs) so yeah and it's way cheaper so uh, yeah and and, you know when you're surfing and you're beginning you're getting hand-me-downs at first you know, you're not getting new suits. Well, some of these kids are, but most kids get the hand-me-downs from either the older brother or whatever they bought at the garage sale, and the boards are used. And that's what you, you know, you give a kid a seven-foot board who's four feet tall, and that's his long, that's his beginning board. Once he figures it out and he's standing up doing his thing, then you're going to get him a new board for Christmas the next year. You it's know? kind of like learning to drive with a stick shift. Exactly. Yeah, go to the basics. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Well, this is something to carp about. It's a podcast about all things Carpinteria, and surfing is just something I hadn't gotten around to. So as far as Rincon Point itself, uh, I've only been out there a few times where yeah. I turned left and went over to where the surfers are. seems to me the parking area could use an upgrade. Um, that has got to be a real situation when, when the Rincon Classic is held, for, for instance. I can't imagine trying to get in there to see it. There's such a limited number of spaces. Any talk about an upgrade? Uh, is it in Ventura County or Santa Barbara County? Another good question. Oh, is it in Ventura County? The Cove is in Ventura County. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure about that. <laughs> Indicator Rivermount, Santa Barbara County. This all right. is what I'm to hear anyway. Uh, oh, all right. Okay. So <laughs> so is that the tree to bark up as far as making improvements there, Ventura County? It is a county park. 
Okay. It is a county park, um, and I learned that during COVID, <laughs> because one side was open and one side wasn't. County was closed, city was open, so mm. I don't know. Oh, I see. Yeah, but uh, the the parking lot it, to me, I I hope they don't upgrade it um, because I think a lot of us feel like it's probably got too many spots. <laughs> I understand. You understand. What I'm I saying? get that totally. And when the when the classic comes around, you know what you're getting into. So I would get up at at three forty five. I'd go down there by four thirty and be waiting, and then get, you know do get your first spot, and then you know come home, leave the car, and walk here. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was spoiled where we're at. Yes. Yeah, or you know that you're going to be parking on the road coming up the canyon here, um, somewhere on the side, and. That's kind of what happens now with the overflow. Okay, but, but it is a deal. But you, you know, if it's pumping and it's Saturday, and you waited till eleven o'clock, you're parking up here somewhere. Yeah, and, ba- the, and the Bates Beach parking lot's got to fill up like in no time as well. It fills up a lot quickly. Well, uh, that leads to our next little issue, and that's the trail they want to put from the bluff up at the top at the end of Highway 150 all the way down to Bates Beach. Mm-hmm. It's a ten foot wide concrete. Uh, trail for bikes and people to walk on. Um, how do you feel about that? Uh, you had just mentioned that there are already enough parking spaces. This is only going to bring more people to the area, but maybe they'll be parking up here in a new area instead. I mean, are you aware of that plan? I was not aware of that plan. No the, one memoed me on yes, that. No, yes, yes. <laughs> They're looking at the, a number of different plans of how yeah. to get a trail from the top to the bottom. The hang gliding community has objected to the to the plan that was adopted because... That would put an end to that updraft that they love oh, to use I so much. Oh, I did hear about yeah. this. Okay. So now they're looking at two other alternatives to where the hang gliders will still get to do what they do. Okay. Yet, you'll still have a trail for bicyclists and pedestrians to get down to Bates Beach without having to navigate the railroad tracks and all that dangerous stuff. Well, I think for me, I don't think it's going to be an issue. And I, I welcome it because I think that the community... Um, walkers and bikers could use a cool uh, path like the one they built that comes from Ventura up. Um, I think they did a great job with that. And and as a photographer, for me to set up up there is awesome. I get a good angle up there. So uh, I don't see that as an issue as far as bringing more people if they're going to if they're going to throw their surfboards and ride a bike down we're good that means they live close by and you know they're just doing their part so i don't i think that's a great idea okay i've i've seen bates beach is almost like a, a well-kept secret for this area um having lived in santa barbara for five years and and frequented all of those beaches from from east all the way out to uh haskell's in, in, in galita yeah uh, um but you don't hear that many people coming down to bates uh at, at carpenteria has so much room yeah it's, it's a huge wild awesome stretch of beach yeah um, so that would be another thing as far as that trail would impact that but it's just that many more people will get to enjoy space that's already there it seems like to me yeah uh, i love Bates. uh i didn't know about Bates until i lived here and uh it became our beach it's still kind of our beach but we have to drive a little bit but uh it is kind of a hidden little gem i totally agree with you and, and i am grateful that that hasn't caught on. <laughs> well, since since moving here, yeah, thank goodness. Uh, since since moving here, Haskell's was my adopted beach, the okay. beach that I couldn't believe 
no lifeguards. There's no presence of, of authority of any kind. Really, yeah. it's just a wild, long, two or three mile stretch of beach. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering, are this are the Santa Barbara beaches considered too touristy for for surfers? Uh, the action is here down at Rincon. Yeah. I only ever see surfers in Santa Barbara at West Beach, sometimes surfing classes at SPCC, something like that. But it doesn't seem to be one of the more glamorous surfing locations or destinations. It's a little more uh, out of the way. So you've got to kind of work for it a little bit, I think. Whereas like, you know, down in Ventura, you just pull right up and you're looking out your window at the spot to check. Even Rin- Rincon, thank God that the camera... They pulled down, but um, you know it's you got to drive here really, unless you know somebody to, that you can call that checks it every day. Um, but uh, it's it's a little more difficult, so you got to kind of work to look at these spots, including um, you know some of the spots up north. So uh, it's a little more rugged, I think. You know, you got to have a space to be able to haul your board down there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. and it looks a little tricky logistically. Uh, sure, some of the some of the places along Montecito and, and Santa Barbara there. Yeah, as far as beach access on, along the south coast, Hollister Ranch comes to mind. Uh, are we yeah. headed in the right direction? You think, as far as you know, beaches are supposed to be accessible to all of us mm-hmm. at all times. This subject is uh, one that I uh, have kind of opened to uh, on my Instagram and Facebook, which has, it's really set a firestorm off. When I, whenever I put it up there, that question, should Hollister Ranch be open to the public, the, the resounding answer is no. Uh, do I think uh, Senator Lamone uh, has the right, uh, message in what she's trying to do by opening it? No. I, I think she's clueless, but I think um, that the powers that be will do what they do in government, and I believe they will open it up sometime. I think that, that Hollister Ranch will throw up a ton of um, legal maneuvers to stop it in the meantime. That's underway. Right. Yeah, they've done it a few times, and they'll keep doing that, and uh, but eventually it'll run its course and they'll open it. Now, how they will open it, I don't know, and what they'll do. I, I think if, if they did it in like a national park type style where you pay to get in or you, like Kalama, you pay the $10 for a day pass. Or Gaviota or Refugio, any of them. And you have a minimum amount of parking spaces for the day pass people, which is somewhere around 15 to 10 and first come, first serve, I think they can maybe do it in a way that'll be less impactful than just, hey, open the gates and here we go, yeah. you know. Uh, the unfortunate thing being that that scenario is only uh, on the table because of how long it's been roped off yeah. and, and kept from us. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that, how that uh, plays out. But as far as uh, to the east of there and, and all of the, all the coastal area we get to enjoy, you think it's well managed? Do you think we? Uh, I do. It seems to me we're very lucky. Yeah, I think there's there's good management going on as as but I think it's completely underfunded and and undermanaged. I think they are they've been working with skeleton crews since probably the '90s or or, or a little after that um, when they started shutting down parks. Um, and uh, campgrounds, and they closed down McGrath. I mean, um, I think that was a horrible decision uh, for our government. And um, 
the impacts are, you know, they're it, it, it's ridiculous because McGrath used to be completely sold out constantly. And you had families coming there from all over, including, you know, locally. But, uh, you know, so these parks are a huge number of families enjoy these parks constantly. I mean, I know so many friends that use even Emma Wood and they live in Ventura, but you go there, you bring your kids and you're there for a week and, you know, it's paradise, man. So uh, they're, they're so important. So if they do this right, which I know they can, it's, it's if the government allows them to do it correctly, they get the input and they listen, it can be done right. But you're right, that that place is a gym I only went there one time with a friend of mine, and um, it is stunning. And I always told people that to me was heaven on earth. Like if you're a surfer, you, it it would be like he, how heaven would be if yeah. you 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 know thought <laughs> here's up, your beach, yeah, here are your waves, and every the hillsides are rolling and <laughs> yeah. green, and yeah. you've got three point breaks, and you know, I mean, come on, it's just gorgeous, man. But I have heard, I've heard nightmare stories of guys. Who, because one of the things that you hear on those or you can read on those feeds that I put out, the people that respond, they're like, hey man, it's open to the public. You can walk in or you can boat in. You just know how to have to know how to do it. Well, I call bullshit on that because I know people that have done that and they've been chased out of the water. They've not been allowed to surf, even with their kids. Mm -hmm. They've been told to get the F out. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get anything. Don't even waste your time getting out of your boat, blah, blah, blah. It's not It's not fun for those kids or those people that either walk in or boat in. It, it, so when I hear people say that, and I heard a lot of people say that on my feed, it's total bullshit, and I call bullshit on it. it they don't make it inviting for anybody. So Okay, so much for that myth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to carp about, and we'll be back in just a minute. All right, class. Let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig for for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? (laughs) Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We're back with Something to Carp About. I'm Dennis Mitchell. He's Brent Floten, and we're talking surfing along the South Coast. On Carpinteria Valley Radio, our community radio station we've set up for Carpinteria, we run a show called The Lineup. It's a surfing show. It's really, really good. And uh, they get famous surfers on and talk about the surfing hotspots of the world and danged if every few programs Rincon Point isn't discussed in detail. <laughs> the Rincon Classic is always referred to and brought up and, uh, and and revered. Yeah. But I never hear them say Carpinteria. Does Carp get enough credit for being home of Queen of the Coast or is that because it's over that county line thing or it says, I don't hear Carpinteria as closely attached to Rincon Point as one might think as a newcomer. Agreed. Um, no. It doesn't get enough credit, but 
I think if you talk to some of the hardcore locals in CARP, that's the way they want it. Oh, I see. Yeah. They don't want to... There is a group in CARP that is uh, the true locals. I'm not going to mention any names, but um, they surf particular spots and occasionally they'll surf down here and surf backside Rincon or Rincon. But those guys surf in particular spots I won't be mentioning either, mm-hmm. and they like it that way. CARP is very underground, and I, I, I have a lot of respect for CARP and the surfing community that is part of that. And they've done a really good job <laughs> in keeping um, those spots uh, quiet. And for good reason, because you can see what happens when spots are blown up like Rincon. You know, it's a nightmare. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. I mean, you want to be famous for that. <clears throat> but like I said, as soon as you are, it kind of spoils some of it. So yeah. I, I yeah. get you there. But it's funny. I was thinking about that this morning, too. Like, um, you know, Channel Islands surfboards touts Santa Barbara, but they're literally across the road here. Yeah. You know, and uh, they're producing their boards right there in Carpinteria. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I love Carpinteria. It's uh, both my wife and I, if, if, if we could still afford it, we would probably be there. But um, we do love coming, visiting. And, you, you know, when we lived there, um, people would say, oh, you're in the carp bubble because you really are in a bubble. I know. And it's a different part of the world, you know. Um, yes. It needs to be on that T-shirt that I used to read, which would say, Paia, Paris, Paia, Maui. Paris, London, uh, you know, and, and this other big city, and then, then it would be Carpinteria, you know? You know what I mean? It's one of those really special places. It, it really is. Yeah. And it, like I say, you're a resident uh, until fairly recently, and yeah. uh, I get here at a time the town's at a real crossroads in a lot of ways. It's yeah. expanding, it's growing. The one-on-one expansion will bring more people here. Uh, the cannabis issue, uh, whether or, and how much downtown needs to be modernized, <laughs> Uh, a couple of hotel projects uh, are very controversial are on the table. So uh, now as an outsider, I know you still keep track and I know CARP still gets news coverage. The freeway and the the proposed hotel, which my wife just filled me in on, I think day before yesterday, on the bluffs. Yes. <clears throat> I, I think this is... It sets a really bad precedence. Now, I do know that progress is going to be progress, and it's going to happen. We can't stop that. Um, The Bluffs is an extremely special and uh, delicate ecosystem in itself. I mean, I've been out there and seen herons, kites, um, red tails, um, you name it. I mean, it it is incredible. And uh, to put a hotel there would, would... would really break up the symmetry of carp and say where we're at here at Rincon Mountain. I mean, then you put a giant hotel in there and yeah, I don't know, man. I just... You're not alone. Yeah. The one public meeting they've had on it, it was almost unanimous. That's what I heard. People being against it. And I'm good with that. Yeah. And the Surfliner Inn's a little more complicated issue. uh, And we're voting on that in November. The city of Carpentria is... As far as changing parking lot number three uh-huh. next to the next to the railroad yeah. tracks into a, a boutique hotel. Oh, that's uh, right, that's right. Yeah, and that one that's an ongoing issue for yeah. the past I don't know, five or six years. Yes. They've been talking about building that, and so 
That comes to a head in November when we vote on changing the city plan to allow that parking lot to be used for that purpose. Yeah. So I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, very mixed um, reaction among locals. Uh, as far as some seeing it as as necessary, it'll bring people in. They'll spend money downtown and and leave, uh, is the way one half puts it. The other way, the other half being, we have a place for hotels. It's out by one hundred and one. We don't want that right. there. And where will all that parking go? Well, that's a huge. That's that's the key right there. Where is the parking going to go? Where is all the traffic going to go? You know, I've heard also that um, Trader Joe's is has purchased or is in the process of purchasing uh, behind uh, or Eye of the Day or uh, what did it, uh, up there by Carl's Jr. See, now that's that's been one of the hottest rumors <laughs> since long before I came here. There was the Trader Joe's and Carl yeah. rumor. Yeah, <laughs> this one's real. Um, the one on Linden died uh, a slow death. Um, Didn't know there was one. Yeah, they were going to put it in that hardware store. Oh, but they never did open it. No. They were just proposing to put yeah, it there. Yeah, and, and they were going to do, you know, terrain, subterranean parking and all that. I was like, Ooh. how? But anyway, that fell by the wayside. So now the talk is uh, literally next to Carl's Jr. Because the thing about Trader Joe's, they like to be next to an on-ramp and an off-ramp. That's their whole thing. Every store is close proximity within a half mile to an on-ramp. So that's what they're doing. And... Um, you're going to have a certain amount of traffic. It's it, it luckily for the Trader Joe's that's kind of out a little away from town. Right. I I don't feel like Carpinteria has the structure to handle a big hotel that's going to bring in a ton of people. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm my my side is small. No, uh, I was you just <laughs> asking for your impressions. Yeah, so, that yeah. that uh, Linden Avenue is such a special place, and um, you know you can see the pinch when it's tourist season. You know it's packed, man, and cars are coming in from all directions, and it's um. But that's it brings in the money, you know, yeah. and it gets us through winter. So yeah. uh, it has its its ups. Um, but if you throw another giant hotel in there, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it'll do. I don't see positivity from it. But maybe as a business owner, you do. Yeah. You know? Maybe it has to happen before we know. Right. You know, in wrapping up, I've had people on to talk about the beach and how wonderful it is to be at the beach oh, yeah. and surfers in particular. Um, and the fact that you often go home in this area with lots of oil between your toes. <laughs> yeah. And I, and for me, I look out and I see those oil platforms, uh, I think ugly. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to a day that maybe they'll be decommissioned and taken down, and, and it seems to be like a forever process. I right. doubt it'll be done in my lifetime, but at right. least it seems like uh, we're headed in the right direction of that. Does the surfing community have any feeling about that? Is there a consensus as far as that being a... A good or bad thing and, and and wouldn't it be nice if there wasn't oil on your board well yes uh the surfing community definitely has a an opinion i think that uh my opinion um a lot of the oil is natural that comes out we've got a lot of natural oil seepage as you can tell by tar pits and that type of uh stuff so mm -hmm. we're just in an oil rich natural environment where that stuff bubbles up but there is a lot of issue with, you know, we had some broken pipes uh, in the recent years that, you know, a huge spill and this kind of thing, which I think is what we frown on. And um, it, the, the opposite side of that, which 
you know, I understand the environmental side of things, um, but I also look at the amount of people that are, you know, they're employed by these companies and it's in, it's in the hundreds of thousands. I mean, you know, it's, it employs so many people here that go out in the, the teal and, um, Tealy, I think, and, the the other boat that the, the service boats that run out and, uh, drop off and pick up from the rigs. And, um, you know, they've been operational for years. Um, I do know that they did pass something where they are phasing them out and they are phasing out slowly. I do not remember the year that they're supposed to be done by, but I believe it's soon. Um, you know, they, they got rid of, uh, oil Island. Um, now that's been decommissioned and it's just kind of sitting there. I'm not sure what the plan is with that either. You know, I mean, how do you, what do you do with that? Yeah, that's a curiosity every time you drive by it. Yeah, you I know, think you should open a surf club out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, now, but, now you're talking. Right. I mean, you talk about your own little island out there. Do you really know? Yeah. But, but yeah, when you drive by with uh, visitors from out of town and they ask, well, what is that? It's like it's hard to answer that question. There was an oil operation going on yeah. at the end of that pier for a long time. But it, like you said, it's, uh, uh, it's shut down for yeah. now. Um, well, I, that, I appreciate those insights. That's, uh, that's interesting feedback to get. Um, I feel for the people who are employed out there too, but yeah. it's like in these days, right. wouldn't you be looking at getting a job in a Tesla battery factory or something <laughs> instead? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, what's, uh, next for you, Brent? Are you, are there some <laughs> events or surfers you're going to go out and put, uh, photograph soon? Well, I did take today and tomorrow off to shoot coinciding with a pretty pretty good swell it looks like the wind's a little weird so we'll see what happens with that uh i am in the process with a partner of mine mike uh, mcnamara we are putting together a magazine the magazine is called people places and things and it revolves around celebrating coastal culture so we are keeping a toe in the surf community so each issue will feature two articles on people, two articles on places, and two articles on things that we both choose and we interview people. And it's going to be a magazine full of our photos and and we will invite other photographers in too. The reason we started this magazine is because we both sent our photos to several publications, some which aren't out anymore. Surfer and Surfing have have gone uh, away, but uh, The Journal is another one that I... I hold near and near and dear, um, and we were always turned down for whatever reason. Um, so, Mike came up with the idea to why don't we just start our own magazine? He's financing it, um, and so that's that's what's happening, and I'm I'm very excited about that's that. That's very exciting yeah. indeed. Now it'll be a hard print thing you can buy it'll in magazine and online as well. Yeah, it'll be a coffee table grade thick uh, stock paper, beautiful glossy magazine. Probably around 73, 75 pages per issue, probably four times a year type thing. Okay. Um, but it's in its infant stages. Um, I did my first interview. He's going to come out flying out to California to do his interview that we'll both uh, do up in, Car- up in uh, Santa Cruz, um, a particular guy up there that's a shaper. So uh, old, old fella that's got some history, we're going we're gonna to go up and do that. Um, I work closely since 2017 with the Ventura Board Riders Club. That is a an, an offshoot of West Coast Board Riders. And I don't know if you know about that, but 
the West Coast Board Riders was founded uh, on the premise of what Australia did, where they all have board riders in each of their cities. They have clubs, and then they all compete against each other. And it's enormous over there. Like, it's like a league. Yeah, it's like football over there. Wow. Like, it's huge. So the guys that started it, Chris Moreno, Ziggy Williams, and uh, uh, Casey Wheat, they formed it, and it's in 2017, and we used to go and compete against Huntington Beach. Well, now um, there's Malibu, Northern L.A. County, Santa Cruz, San Luis Obispo, boom, 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 on and on and on. I can tell you that you know Santa Barbara just started their their club last year, which they just comp- started competing. They actually beat us in the last competition wow. in Ventura. They've got a really great team. And now they're starting some, uh, some clubs on the East Coast. So what what the dream is is that the West Coast board riders will be this international, where say Ventura competes against you know Australia, you know Perth or something like that, and and that's that's the goal and that's the dream and it's televised and so it's at its infancy stages. I mean, it started in 2017, so we're now 2022. It's grown exponentially, but. The, the goal is really broad and huge. And so that's, I wor- I've been working with them and I do the photography and I run like this small uh, 14 and under and 15 and up kids and put them together every time we compete. And so that's a big thing. And I work with Rouette Clothing, which is my buddy's clothing company, uh, Jeremy Ryan, uh, Skosh uh, Incorporated. Um, they do audio stuff for trucks and uh, off-roading and racing, all to- all types of thing, uh, all types of stuff you can check out. And of course, Buell Wetsuits. All right. Uh, the greatest wetsuit company. <laughs> <laughs> Get them in there, man. It's all good. And I don't want to forget uh, your current gig, you're at the Santa Barbara Natural History Museum. That is true. A really Santa cool History place Museum. to go. I, I've been in a lot of cities and a lot of museums. I really love visiting there. Good. It's a, a, it's a beautiful place. And uh, the kids... If you got kids and you haven't been there, you got to bring them up there. Um, one of the things I did, I posted a thing where this guy walked up to me and I was outside uh, a couple weeks ago and he goes, hey, is the, uh, is the snake display still in there where you push the button and the rattlesnake rattles? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, hey, when was the last time you, uh, you saw that? And he goes, he goes, I was five. And, he, and I go, how old are you now? And he goes, I'm 62. So I said, do you mind if I take a photo of you doing that? And and he goes, no. And so he went in there and uh, he ended up telling me his father was a teacher up in Goleta for his entire career. And oh, wow. uh, it was a really cool thing. So we get a lot of people that were there as kids coming back up with their kids. Uh, right now we have the Dinosaurs Alive display, which is animatronic dinosaurs. You get to see that. And then coming up in, in uh, May is the Butterflies Alive, which is spectacular. We have 22 to 25 species of, of butterfly that are all going in this pavilion, and you get to walk amongst them, and they land on you, and it's just incredible for That's the That's the uniqueness of that place. For yeah. those of you listening outside of our area and, and always wanting to peer in and see how things are here, it's a museum, but there's a lot of walking. A lot of it's outdoors. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I really dig it. Like I said, it, it's unique among museums. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, good on you, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much <laughs> for being my guest. It's uh, Brent Floten, uh, surf photographer, enthusiast, and former Carpinteria resident. Uh, thank you very much for, for 
making an appearance here on Something to Carp About, and best of luck with the magazine. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's all for now. I'm Dennis Mitchell. Talk to you next time on Something to Carp About. Thank you.